Chapter Six of Hannibal. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. Hannibal by Jacob Abbott. Hannibal crosses the Alps. Part Two. The mountaineers were, however, conquered and driven away at last and the pass was left clear. The Carthaginian column was restored to order. The horses that had not fallen were calmed and quieted. The baggage which had been thrown down was gathered up, and the wounded men were placed on litters, rudely constructed on the spot, that they might be borne on to a place of safety. In a short time all were ready to move on, and the march was accordingly recommenced. There was no further difficulty. The column advanced in a quiet and orderly manner until they had passed the defile. At the extremity of it they came to a spacious fort belonging to the natives. Hannibal took possession of this fort and paused for a little time there to rest and refresh his men. One of the greatest difficulties encountered by a general in conducting an army through difficult and dangerous roads is that of providing food for them. An army can transport its own food only a very little way. Men traveling over smooth roads can only carry provisions for a few days, and where the roads are as difficult and dangerous as the passes of the Alps, they can scarcely carry any. The commander must, accordingly, find subsistence in the country through which he is marching. Hannibal had, therefore, now not only to look out for the safety of his men, but their food was exhausted, and he must take immediate measures to secure a supply. The lower slopes of lofty mountains afford usually abundant sustenance for flocks and herds. The showers which are continually falling there, and the moisture which comes down the sides of the mountains through the ground, keep the turf perpetually green, and sheep and cattle love to pasture upon it. They climb to great heights, finding the herbage finer and sweeter the higher they go. Thus the inhabitants of mountain ranges are almost always shepherds and herdsmen. Grain can be raised in the valleys below, but the slopes of the mountains, though they produce grass to perfection, are too steep to be tilled. As soon as Hannibal had got established in the fort, he sent around small bodies of men to seize and drive in all the cattle and sheep that they could find. These men were, of course, armed, in order that they might be prepared to meet any resistance which they might encounter. The mountaineers, however, did not attempt to resist them. They felt that they were conquered, and they were, accordingly, disheartened and discouraged. The only mode of saving their cattle, which was left to them, was to drive them as fast as they could into concealed and inaccessible places. 
they attempted to do this, and while Hannibal's parties were ranging up the valleys all around them, examining every field and barn and sheepfold that they could find, the wretched and despairing inhabitants were flying in all directions, driving the cows and sheep, on which their whole hope of subsistence depended, into the fastnesses of the mountains. They urged them into wild thickets, and dark ravines, and chasms, and over dangerous glaciers, and up the steepest ascents, wherever there was the readiest prospect of getting them out of the plunderer's way. These attempts, however, to save their little property, were but very partially successful. Hannibal's marauding parties kept coming home, one after another, with droves of sheep and cattle before them, some larger and some smaller, but making up a vast amount in all. Hannibal subsisted his men three days on the food thus procured for them. It requires an enormous store to feed ninety or a hundred thousand men, even for three days. Besides, in all such cases as this, an army always waste and destroy far more than they really consume. During these three days the army was not stationary, but was moving slowly on. The way, though still difficult and dangerous, was at least open before them, as there was now no enemy to dispute their passage. So they went on, rioting upon the abundant supplies they had obtained, and rejoicing in the double victory they were gaining over the hostility of the people, and the physical dangers and difficulties of the way. The poor mountaineers returned to their cabins, ruined and desolate, for mountaineers who have lost their cows and their sheep have lost their all. The Alps are not all in Switzerland. Some of the most celebrated peaks and ranges are in a neighboring state called Savoy. The whole country is, in fact, divided into small states called cantons at the present day, and similar political divisions seem to have existed in the time of the Romans. In his march onward from the pass which has been already described, Hannibal, accordingly, soon approached the confines of another canton. As he was advancing slowly into it, with the long train of his army winding up with him through the valleys, he was met at the borders of this new state by an embassage sent from the government of it. They brought with them fresh stores of provisions and a number of guides. They said that they had heard of the terrible destruction which had come upon the other canton in consequence of their effort to oppose his progress, and that they had no intention of renewing so vain an attempt. They came, therefore, they said, to offer Hannibal their friendship and their aid. They had brought guides to show the army the best way over the mountains, and a present of provisions, and to prove the sincerity of their professions, 
they offered Hannibal hostages. These hostages were young men and boys, and sons of the principal inhabitants, whom they offered to deliver into Hannibal's power, to be kept by him until he should see that they were faithful and true in doing what they offered. Hannibal was so accustomed to stratagem and treachery himself, that he was at first very much at a loss to decide whether these offers and professions were honest and sincere, or whether they were only made to put him off his guard. He thought it possible that it was their design to induce him to place himself under their direction, so that they might lead him into some dangerous defile or labyrinth of rocks from which he could not extricate himself, and where they could attack and destroy him. He, however, decided to return them a favourable answer, but to watch them very carefully, and to proceed under their guidance with the utmost caution and care. He accepted of the provisions they offered, and took the hostages. These last he delivered into the custody of a body of his soldiers, and they marched on with the rest of the army. Then, directing the new guides to lead the way, the army moved on after them. The elephants went first, with a moderate force for their protection, preceding and accompanying them. Then came long trains of horses and mules, loaded with military stores and baggage, and finally the foot-soldiers followed, marching irregularly in a long column. The whole train must have extended many miles, and must have appeared from any of the eminences around like an enormous serpent, winding its way tortuously through the wild and desolate valleys. Hannibal was right in his suspicions. The embassage was a stratagem. The men who sent it had laid an ambuscade in a very narrow pass, concealing their forces in thickets and in chasms, and in nooks and corners among the rugged rocks. And, when the guides had led the army well into the danger, a sudden signal was given, and these concealed enemies rushed down upon them in great numbers, breaking into their ranks, and renewing the scene of terrible uproar, tumult, and destruction, which had been witnessed in the other defile. One would have thought that the elephants, being so unwieldy and so helpless in such a scene, would have been the first objects of attack, but it was not so. The mountaineers were afraid of them. They had never seen such animals before, and they felt for them a mysterious awe, not knowing what terrible powers such enormous beasts might be expected to wield. They kept away from them, therefore, and from the horsemen, and poured down upon the head of the column of foot-soldiers, which followed in the rear. They were quite successful at the first onset. They broke through the head of the column, and drove the rest back. 
The horses and elephants, in the meantime, moved forward, bearing the baggage with them, so that the two portions of the army were soon entirely separated. Hannibal was behind, with the soldiers. The mountaineers made good their position, and as night came on, the contest ceased, for in such wilds as these no one can move at all except with the light of day. The mountaineers, however, remained in their place, dividing the army, and Hannibal continued during the night in a state of great suspense and anxiety, with the elephants and the baggage separated from him, and apparently at the mercy of the enemy. During the night he made vigorous preparations for attacking the mountaineers the next day. As soon as the morning light appeared, he made the attack, and he succeeded in driving the enemy away, so far, at least, as to allow him to get his army together again. He then began once more to move on. The mountaineers, however, hovered about his way, and did all they could to molest and embarrass his march. They concealed themselves in ambuscades, and attacked the Carthaginians as they passed. They rolled stones down upon them, or discharged spears and arrows from eminences above. And if any of Hannibal's army became, for any reason, detached from the rest, they would cut off their retreat, and then take them prisoners, or destroy them. Thus they gave Hannibal a great deal of trouble. They harassed his march continually, without presenting at any point a force where he could meet and encounter in battle. Of course, Hannibal could no longer trust to his guides, and he was obliged to make his way as he best could, sometimes right, but often wrong, and exposed to a thousand difficulties and dangers, which those acquainted with the country might have easily avoided. All this time the mountaineers were continually attacking him, in bands like those of robbers, sometimes in the van and sometimes in the rear, wherever the nature of the ground or the circumstances of the marching army afforded them an opportunity. Hannibal persevered, however, through all these discouragements, protecting his men as far as it was in his power, but pressing earnestly on, until in nine days he reached the summit. By the summit, however, is not meant the summit of the mountains, but the summit of the pass, that is the highest point which it was necessary for him to attain in going over. In all mountain ranges there are depressions, which are in Switzerland, called necks, and the pathways and roads over the ranges lie always in these. In America, such a depression in a ridge of land, if well marked and decided, is called a notch. Hannibal attained the highest point of the cull, by which he was to pass over, in nine days after the great battle. There were, however, of course, lofty peaks and summits 
towering still far above him. He encamped here two days to rest and refresh his men. The enemy no longer molested him. In fact, parties were continually coming into the camp of men and horses that had got lost or had been left in the valleys below. They came in slowly, some wounded, others exhausted and spent by fatigue and exposure. In some cases, horses came in alone. They were horses that had slipped or stumbled, and fallen among the rocks, or had sunk down exhausted by their toil, and had thus been left behind, and afterward, recovering their strength, had followed on, led by a strange instinct to keep to the tracks which their companions had made, and thus they rejoined the camp at last in safety. In fact, one great reason for Hannibal's delay at his encampment, on or near the summit of the pass, was to afford time for all the missing men to join the army again, that had the power to do so. Had it not been for this necessity, he would doubtless have descended some distance, at least, to a more warm and sheltered position, before seeking repose. A more gloomy and desolate resting place than the summit of an alpine pass can scarcely be found. The bare and barren rocks are entirely destitute of vegetation, and they have lost, besides, the sublime and picturesque forms which they assume further below. They spread in vast, naked fields in every direction around the spectator, rising in gentle ascents, bleak and dreary. The surface whitened as if bleached by the perpetual rains. Storms are, in fact, almost perpetual in these elevated regions. The vast cloud, which to the eye of the shepherd in the valley below, seems only a fleecy cap, resting serenely upon the summit, or slowly floating along the sides, is really a driving mist, or cold and stormy rain, howling dismally over interminable fields of broken rocks, as if angry that it can make nothing grow upon them, with all its watering. Thus there are seldom distant views to be obtained, and everything near presents a scene of simple dreariness and desolation. Hannibal's soldiers thus found themselves in the midst of a dismal scene in their lofty encampment. There is one special source of danger, too, in such places as this, which the lower portions of the mountains are less exposed to, and that is the entire obliteration of the pathway by falls of snow. It seems almost absurd to speak of pathway in such regions, where there is no turf to be worn, and the boundless fields of rocks, ragged and hard, will take no trace of footsteps. There are, however, generally some faint traces of way and where these fail entirely, the track is sometimes indicated by small piles of stones, 
placed at intervals along the line of a route. An unpractised eye would scarcely distinguish these little landmarks, in many cases from accidental heaps of stones, which lie everywhere around. They, however, render a very essential service to the guides and to the mountaineers, who have been accustomed to conduct their steps by similar aids in other portions of the mountains. But when snow begins to fall, all these and every other possible means of distinguishing the way are soon entirely obliterated. The whole surface of the ground, or rather of the rocks, is covered, and all landmarks disappear. The little monuments become nothing but slight inequalities in the surface of the snow, undistinguishable from a thousand others. The air is thick and murky, and shuts off alike all distant prospects and the shape and conformation of the land that is near. The bewildered traveller has not even the stars to guide him, as there is nothing but dark falling flakes descending from an impenetrable canopy of stormy clouds to be seen in the sky. Hannibal encountered a snowstorm while on the summit of the pass, and his army were very much terrified by it. It was now November. The army had met with so many detentions and delays that their journey had been protracted to a late period. It would be unsafe to attempt to wait till this snow should melt again. As soon, therefore, as the storm ended, and the clouds cleared away, so as to allow the men to see the general features of the country around, the camp was broken up, and the army put in motion. The soldiers marched through the snow with great anxiety and fear. Men went before to explore the way, and to guide the rest by flags and banners which they bore. Those who went first made paths, of course, for those who followed behind, as the snow was trampled down by their footsteps. Notwithstanding these aids, however, the army moved on very laboriously, and with much fear. At length, however, after descending a short distance, Hannibal, perceiving that they must soon come in sight of the Italian valleys and plains which lay beyond the Alps, went forward among the pioneers, who had charge of the banners by which the movements of the army were directed, and as soon as the open country began to come into view, he selected a spot where the widest prospect was presented, and halted his army there to let them take a view of the beautiful country which now lay before them. The Alps are very precipitous on the Italian side. The descent is very sudden, from the cold and icy summits to a broad expanse of the most luxuriant and sunny plains. Upon these plains, which were spread out in a most enchanting landscape at their feet, Hannibal and his soldiers now looked down with exultation and delight. Beautiful lakes, studded with still more beautiful islands, reflected the beams of the sun. 
an endless succession of fields in sober autumnal colors with the cottages of the laborers and stacks of grain scattered here and there upon them and rivers meandering through verdant meadows gave variety and enchantment to the view hannibal made an address to his officers and men congratulating them on having arrived at last so near to a successful termination of their toils the difficulties of the way he said are at last surmounted and these mighty barriers that we have scaled are the walls not only of italy but of rome itself since we have passed the alps the romans will have no protection against us remaining it is only one battle when we get down upon the plains or at most two and the great city itself will be entirely at our disposal the whole army were much animated and encouraged both by the prospect which presented itself to their view and by the words of hannibal they prepared for the descent anticipating little difficulty but they found on recommencing their march that their troubles were by no means over the mountains are far steeper on the italian side than on the other and it was extremely difficult to find paths by which the elephants and the horses and even the men could safely descend they moved on for some time with great labor and fatigue until at length hannibal looking on before found that the head of the column had stopped and the whole train behind was soon jammed together the ranks halting along the way in succession as they found their path blocked up by the halting of those before them hannibal sent forward to ascertain the cause of the difficulty and found that the van of the army had reached a precipice down which it was impossible to descend it was necessary to make a circuit in hopes of finding some practicable way of getting down the guides and pioneers went on leading the army after them and soon got upon a glacier which lay in their way there was fresh snow upon the surface covering the ice and concealing the crevasses as they are termed that is the great cracks and fissures which extend in the glaciers down through the body of the ice the army moved on trampling down the new snow and making at first a good roadway by their footsteps but very soon the old ice and snow began to be trampled up by the hooves of the horses and the heavy tread of such vast multitudes of armed men it softened to a great depth and made the work of toiling through it an enormous labor besides the surface of the ice and snow sloped steeply and the men and beasts were continually falling or sliding down and getting swallowed up in avalanches which their own weight set in motion or in concealed crevasses where they sank to rise no more they however made some progress though slowly and with great danger 
they at last got below the region of the snow, but here they encountered new difficulties in the abruptness and ruggedness of the rocks, and in the zigzag and tortuous direction of the way. At last they came to a spot where their further progress appeared to be entirely cut off by a large mass of rock, which it seemed necessary to remove, in order to widen the passage sufficiently to allow them to go on. The Roman historian says that Hannibal removed these rocks by building great fires upon them, and then pouring on vinegar, which opened seams and fissures in them, by means of which the rocks could be split, and pried to pieces with wedges and crowbars. On reading this account, the mind, naturally, pauses to consider the probability of its being true. As they had no gunpowder in those days, they were compelled to resort to some such method as the one above described for removing rocks. There are some species of rock which are easily cracked and broken by the action of fire. Others resist it. There seems, however, to be no reason obvious why vinegar should materially assist in the operation. Besides, we cannot suppose that Hannibal could have had, at such a time and place, any very large supply of vinegar on hand. On the whole, it is probable that, if any such operation was performed at all, it was on a very small scale, and the results must have been very insignificant at the time, though the fact has since been greatly celebrated in history. In coming over the snow, and in descending the rocks immediately below, the army, and especially the animals connected with it, suffered a great deal from hunger. It was difficult to procure forage for them of any kind. At length, however, as they continued their descent, they came first into the region of forests, and soon after to slopes of grassy fields descending into warm and fertile valleys. Here the animals were allowed to stop and rest, and renew their strength by abundance of food. The men rejoiced that their toils and dangers were over, and descending easily the remainder of the way, they encamped, at last, safely on the plains of Italy. In Modesto, California, for LibriVox.